Canuck Central, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We're in the Kintech studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. If you missed the first hour of the show, uh, we talked a lot about the Canucks' next head coach, likely to be Rick Tockett, and the uh, announcement could come as early as next week. Uh, so go back and listen to that and also uh, more speculation on uh, Bo Horvat and where that situation could be headed uh, as uh, we get closer to the trade deadline. How much is interest picking up around the Canucks captain and a player who is uh, potentially or arguably, I should say, the number one trade asset available at this trade deadline. All right. It is Canucks Central. Um we're going to be doing a lot of this uh, over the coming months because, um, well, the Canucks are near the bottom of the standings, and they are very much all about the draft for this season. Let's bring in uh, Tony Ferrari, draft and prospect analyst for the Hockey News and Sports Illustrated. Thanks for this, Tony. How are you? Not too bad, boys. How are you doing? Uh, we're, we're doing fantastic. Um, so, like, are you tired of talking about Connor Bedard yet, or is this just like <laughs> – I mean, if he wasn't as exciting as he is, then yeah, I'd probably get pretty tired of it. But this kid's so fun to watch, and and it's it's just so fun to see him do everything he did at the World Juniors, and then come back to the WHL and absolutely tear it up there, or continue tearing it up there. But uh, to say I'm getting tired of it, uh, there's there's plenty of guys in this draft that I'm I'm enjoying talking about this year. Well, you know what? Let's just stick on Connor Bedard for a moment, and I don't mean this in a, in a bad way, but. What does he need to work on? You know, for, because we're all so sure on how good he is. We watch him and we saw how, how breathtaking he was at the World Juniors and everything that he does. But when you watch him, like, what are the things that could hold him back, if anything? Well, I mean, the fact that he's five foot nine is, is going to be a thing that people talk about, certainly going into the draft, especially because the two closest competitors in Fantilli and Carlson are both over six foot two. So there's going to be people that are going to try to get on him about that. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing this kid needs to work on is just staying engaged. I think the biggest thing that he's had complaints about this year in the WHL is he goes out there and just does what he wants. Basically he'll take shots from below the goal line. He'll take shots from up high and he scores because he's that good at the WHL level. His defensive engagement at times isn't really all there, but when he's the guy that turns the puck over, he's also the guy that gets the puck back. So you see it in flashes, but the really encouraging thing was when he went to the World Juniors, he was able to turn all those things that haven't quite always been on at the WHL level on when he was playing better competition. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, the biggest thing is maybe the physical limitations, but every time he needs to turn a tool on, he's able to do it. Um, so we know he's uh, going first overall. Uh, don't don't see anybody pulling a Portland Trailblazers here. Uh, different sport, though. But um, as far <laughs> as uh, the, the discussion goes after, because – you know, this is a really intriguing, not just uh, the top prospect, but I think the top five overall, especially with the way Mitchkoff has been playing lately. Um, you know, we know this at one time, this was the Bedard Mitchkoff draft, but uh, we'll, we'll save that conversation for a minute. Uh, between Carlson and, and Fantilli, he, who did more to help their case for, for number two in the draft during the World Juniors? Well, I think to the common fan, I think it's probably uh, Carlson because just because because he was out there scoring. He had that big game where he got the puck in the earth, stick in the face. He came back out, bloodied up and nose all looking torn up and then scored again and, and was able to kind of do a lot of things for the, the Americans in big moments. But some of the NHL scouts I've talked to, they credit Fantilli for the way he was able to adapt 
and just kind of build on his game throughout the tournament. I think the biggest thing for him was he went in and he played a really solid two-way game. That was never the issue. That first game, he tried to be the star, tried to be the hero and skill and all these things. And he certainly has it in him. But Canada doesn't love playing draft eligibles unless you are Connor Bedard, basically, up high in the lineup. So he got pushed down the lineup. And when he did, he really adapted and became the play driver in the bottom six for Canada. So while I think in the public sphere, at least, Lucas Carlson probably did a little bit more for himself, I think Adam Fantilli didn't do a bad job for himself either. Now, as far as going down the list of prospects here, how big of a gap do you think there is until the next guy? And Leo Carlson is a guy that obviously gets a lot of love as well. How do you look at Leo Carlson, Adam Fantilli? Are, are they kind of neck and neck, or do you see some separation there? Yeah, I think Bedard's obviously the top guy. And then you yeah. have those two, the Leo Carlson and, and Adam Fantilli at two and three. I think they're pretty much in a group of their own in that sector. And then you start to get to the Mitchkov, Benson, Andrew Kristal, all these other guys in this group where there's so much upside with these guys and they, they could be stars in their own right. But I think it's the assuredness that you got a Carlson and a Fantilli, both who are going to be centers at the next level, both who have the power forward element to their game and both who have shown incredibly high end skill levels as well. I think the, the separating factor right now is the fact that while I think Carlson is shown to be able to produce offensively a little bit better against men, obviously playing in the SHL, Adam Fantilli's defensive game is really, really refined, and he doesn't get the credit for it because he is, I think, the, the second highest leading scorer in the, the NCAA when you go by points percentage. And it's just so fun to watch him play offensively that the defensive game doesn't get talked about, but he's an extremely smart defensive player as well. So uh, the, the Mitchkov conversation um... – how do you think teams handle this or, or does he end up, you know, falling maybe outside of the top five, despite the immense talent he possesses? Yeah. I, I don't think the talent's ever the question with Mitchkov. I think it's the play style. Cause he, he plays a very untranslatable style. He likes to go out there and be the hero, be the guy that's just doing everything on his own. And, and that's hard to do against men, especially at the NHL level and the HL level, even He's able to find some success at the KHL level. He's scoring more recently after the switch to Sochi. But he's still taking shots from really low danger areas. I think the big thing with him is, you look uh, a few years ago, we talked about Alexander Holtz being one of the best goal scorers in the draft. And yeah, he was able to do it, but he was doing it from a low danger area over in Europe. He's come over to North America, and you've seen a slower transition for him. And while I do think Mitchkov has a bit higher ceiling than, than a guy like Alexander Holtz, he's also settling for those low danger shots above the faceoff circles. He had a 10-shot game recently. Not a single one was from high danger, and I think two of them were from medium danger. So it wasn't even like he's pushing into those high danger areas or, or really trying to. The skill level is elite. You've seen him, we've all seen him dance guys and do some miraculous things at the junior level. But he's also going to need to work on using his teammates more because when he does use his teammates, absolutely fantastic talent, should be in that top four conversation, probably even top two but he doesn't use them enough to really kind of warrant getting into that conversation. So looking at the uh, other centers now, so we, we talked about obviously uh, Connor Bedard and Leo Carlson and, and Adam Fantilli. Who do you think the next two or three centers are in that group coming up that really could be intriguing players, especially in that, you know, eight, nine range where Vancouver may find itself with that draft pick? Because obviously in this year's draft, the defensemen in the higher end, there aren't as many of the forwards seem to be more plentiful. So if you're looking for some center help and you can't get those top three guys, uh, how do you view the next couple of guys? Yeah, I think it's interesting because Zach Benson's one of the highest rated guys in this draft, maybe the most intelligent player in this draft. But he isn't always playing center. He's a little bit of an undersized guy, and he plays on the wing a bit. 
So the question of whether or not he's going to play center is, is there, and, and that's going to be the big thing with him because if he does play center, I think he's a lock for that top five, and I think he's going to be a really high-end high end guy for this draft because he is so smart. He's going to be a guy that NHL scouts talk to and go, wow, this kid knows what he's doing on the ice. He plays a step or two ahead. But with him kind of not being a true center, the question then moves to Will Smith and, and Owen, Owen Moore, or Oliver Moore sorry, playing for the USNTDP. Those two are both outstanding centers for that program. Uh, Will Smith plays with Ryan Leonard, who's just an absolutely fantastic talent there as well. And Will Smith's got so much skill and so much talent. He plays a bit of that Kent Johnson video game style game where he's able to deke and dangle and find space that you don't see and then find a guy like Ryan Leonard sitting off to the side. And Oliver Moore is a guy that plays with so much speed, so much pace, and he really drives his line and produces at a high level on that NTDP team on the second line without quite the talent that Will Smith plays with. So they've got an interesting one-two punch there as well. And, and then there's guys down the draft board. Braden Yeager plays a little bit of center as well. I think a guy like Colby Barlow is going to go pretty high in this draft, even if I, I think there's some problems with his full high-end upside. But there's got tons of centers in this draft, and I think that's what's really interesting. I was really hoping to see Will Smith at the World Juniors, and I was too bad he couldn't make that team because of how tantalizing he can be and the skill that he can flash. But you mentioned Oliver Moore, and you know maybe doesn't have quite that flash, but he's he's very fast. And I asked one scout about him that told me that he has a very mature game for his age. Would you be surprised if he's one of those guys that ends up moving up the draft a little bit? Yeah, I won't be shocked if he's the top NTDB player at the end of the year because. He's the guy pushing Will Smith already. I think now that we've seen so much of Will Smith, so much of Oliver Moore, we do see Will Smith kind of make that goofy junior-esque play, the play that won't work at the next level, won't work at college level, and he's going to need to work on that over the next year or two. Whereas Oliver Moore, like you said, he does have a bit more refined game. He actually engages on the defensive end, whereas Will Smith kind of lets the rest of his team do the work on that end of the ice. But Oliver Moore has the speed, pressures with it, uses it at both ends of the ice, and then in the offensive zone, he really is a catalyst, just like Will Smith is. But he, like you said, he does it without a little less flash, and he does it a little bit more projectively. So I think Oliver Moore probably is the safer bet, but Will Smith probably has the higher upside. Now, uh, you know, we, we, we know teams, especially uh, think back to last year, and I don't think um, a center or a D was taken until the Canucks took, or I don't think a winger was taken until the Canucks took Jonathan Lekaramaki. Uh, at 15 last year, mm-hmm. but uh, this year there's just there's not a lot of defensemen uh, that are profiling at the top end of the draft. How do you view uh, the top defensemen in this draft? It's a really weak year for defenders. I think there there isn't really a top pair guy in this year's draft class, unfortunately. But that doesn't mean there isn't a few intriguing guys. And I think the big thing is we don't see any in, in North America right now. There's not really a CHL guy that's standing out. Cam Allen came into the year as a high end guy. But he's had a really kind of underwhelming year. So when you look over at Sweden, Axel Sandin Blaka, who was playing at the World Juniors, played in a big role over there. And he had his ups and downs. And there was moments where he was really fantastic on the power play. But there was moments where he struggled in the defensive end at times. I think he's a guy that plays a really smart, projectable, safe game. Really pinpoint passer, excellent on the breakout. And I think that's the, the big strength of his game. And then you have a guy like Mikhail Guliev, who plays in Russia. A really kind of offensive-minded push the pace guy lacks a little bit on the defensive end at times, but he, he has so much excitement offensively. Uh, I've heard people liken him to a Morgan Riley type player. And while that's maybe not the number one defenseman you want to kind of drive your team to the Stanley cup, 
He's a guy that could be super useful on your team. And then the guy that doesn't get a ton of credit is Dmitry Simashev, another Russian defender, plays in the KHL a lot, really projectable. He's got this high-end skill level, and he's one of those guys where every time you watch him, you go, why doesn't he have more points? Where is the projection, or where is the production not coming from? And it's a lot of times where his team doesn't really engage in activating defenders and stuff. But when he's able to do it on his own at the KHL level against men, you're like, oh, there's something there. So if there's a Moritz Sider in this draft that maybe kind of comes out of nowhere per se, I think it could be Dimitri Simicev. I wanted to ask you about David Reinbacher, the uh, Swiss defenseman who's a right-hand shot. And, you know, obviously, after Maurice Sider a few years ago, the German defenseman came up out of nowhere and went a bit higher and had all the success. Also a righty defenseman, but completely different profiles and obviously far, far bigger player. But what do you think of the Swiss defenseman? Yeah, I think Reinbacher's a really interesting projection. He's a guy that gets a ton of power play time. He's produced a ton on the power play over overseas right now. And he has a mean streak. Defensively, he wants to hit everybody. He wants to engage physically. He's a little bit like David Juracek from last year, but not quite as high a ceiling, I, I don't think. His mobility isn't quite as, as high-end as, as Juracek, but he's going to go out there. He's going to try to punish you when you're trying to come in a, an, into the defensive zone. He's going to work along the boards. He's really good at breaking up cycles. He's probably going to project more as a defensive guy at the next level that has the ability to kind of lead, like, lead the breakout but not really contribute offensively. So I think there's definitely a chance that he kind of sneaks into that top 15, top 20, especially because this is a draft that doesn't ha- don't have there's a top-end defenseman. So he's a guy that if a team falls in love with, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go pretty high. Uh, joined by Tony Ferrari here on uh, Canuck Central going through uh, what the uh, top end of this year's NHL entry draft could look like. You know, we uh, we always, um, you know, the old saying now is, or <laughs> maybe first-round picks, especially in the late later half of the first round, aren't as valued as, as maybe some people make them out to be. They shouldn't be the centerpiece of a big Bo Horvat trade is, is sort of how we've discussed it at different points here, Tony. But this is a deeper draft. Um, is, is there a, a better quality of player in the 20s towards the end of the first, year, first uh, round this year than there was maybe in years past? Yeah, I think going back to 2019 draft, this probably resembles that a little bit where there were so many guys, especially out of that UNTDB program, that were able to kind of get picked later. I mean, we saw Cole Caulfield get picked at 15. We saw guys get picked at 20 that have already made the league and made impacts. It's a really interesting year because I think there's going to be plenty of guys that do that in this draft. And whether you're not looking for a big guy, a small guy, a skilled guy, there's going to be players. I think Cal Ritchie is going to be an underrated guy. I think a guy like Luca Cagnoni, who plays for the Portland Winterhawks out West, really good mobile offensive defenseman that kind of is starting to develop his defensive game. So I think there's going to be quite a few guys that go in the latter half of this first round that probably should have been or could have been top 15 picks in the last couple of years. And that's really interesting, too. And it's, it's fascinating to see just how you know, the centers and defensemen have moved up draft boards. And I know Dan was, was mentioning that a bit earlier in the show. I did want to ask you about uh, Samuel Honzek, who plays out with the Vancouver Giants, who's a left-wing prospect. You know, he's obviously got a lot of size as well. Um, and j- just for a lot of the fans that watch him play, where do you kind of rank him and how high can he go in the draft? Yeah, he's a guy that's kind of sitting in the end of the first round, early second round on a lot of boards. He's just inside my first round right now. He's a really good shooter, a guy that finishes the puck from in tight really well. He's got the size that kind of works to that inside lane and, and kind of establishes position there. And he, at the end of the day, he's a really good playmaker too. And I think that's where his game excels. He understands where his teammates are on the ice and finds them in opportune spots. 
and draws people in with his size. He understands that with his, the, the big size that he has, six foot four, he's going to go into the middle lane. People are going to, defenders are going to collapse in on him. And then he has the reach to kind of pass around them and he has the touch to do it as well. So he's a guy that I think, I don't know if that top six upside is really truly there to be a top line guy, but I think he's going to be a really good middle six scoring winger at the next level who has the chance to play center, I think as well too. Like we've seen him play a little bit of center here and there. So that's still kind of a possibility as well for him. So uh, before we let you go, Tony, um, there was the Jim Rutherford press conference from earlier this week here in, in Vancouver. He mentioned something that uh, got Canucks fans, you know, maybe um, not feeling overly confident about the direction of the team, talking about sort of prospects coming off their entry-level contracts that haven't really worked out yet, and that being sort of the type of player or one type of player he wants to target in order to uh, set the Canucks on a better future path. Um, for, from your perspective, you know, is that a smart strategy and, and what goes into sometimes maybe in a, in a general way, why a prospect might not hit right away or takes a little bit longer to find their, uh, their best spot in the NHL. Yeah, I think it's a good strategy. I don't necessarily think it's a good strategy when you're going after, uh, a return for a Bo Horvat. I think you do want to try to get those draft picks. You want to get the higher end prospects. You don't want to get the guys that are coming off the entry-level deal. For instance, say they go, they go and make a trade with Toronto and, and they get a guy like Nicholas Robertson. I think that's a really good player to get, but is that the return you want for a, a Bo Horvat? I think a guy like Nick Robertson, for example, he's dealt with injuries his first few years. He's dealt with not being able to kind of establish a, a spot, and especially the last few years, we've seen guys really develop a little bit weird because of the pandemic and everything. So I think targeting guys coming off their entry-level deals is a really smart move. I think there's a ton of reasons, whether it's just not being put in a position to succeed. I think we've seen that with prospects on a number of teams, including the Canucks, where a guy should be playing in the top six, but he's constantly being fed bottom six minutes or fourth line minutes or bottom pair minutes. He's not being put on the power play when he should be put on the power play because that's where his game plays to. And I think that's kind of the player you want to target, a guy that has the skill level but hasn't been given the opportunity and the guy that maybe has been injured a few times, you, you buy low on a guy like that, and you kind of get a guy that can bring out that skill level. Like I said, Nick Robertson's a perfect example for me because he's a guy that has flashed this offensive potential. He could be a 30-goal scorer possibly, but he hasn't been able to produce. He hasn't been able to get onto the ice consistently enough. And every time he has, he's slowly worked up to being the player you kind of want him to be, and then he gets hurt. And I think at 21-22, that's going to happen, especially with a, a little bit of an undersized guy. But it's still a player you want to take a chance on over the next couple of years, especially when she, when Vancouver's in that window of not really competing, but not really going into a full rebuild. So it's going to be interesting because, yeah, those are the guys you want to target, but you got to target the right ones, and you got to target the ones that are going to be kind of coming in with your group as, as you start to develop the guys that you do draft. Tony, really appreciate your time and your insights. Thanks so much for this. Anytime, guys. Uh, there is uh, Tony Ferrari uh, covering the NHL entry draft and prospects uh, for the hockey news. And you can follow him on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. So a lot of really interesting things there. Uh, I know that was a comment that uh, a lot of people didn't really love from Jim Rutherford the other day. And I, when he made it, I don't think he necessarily meant 
you know, that's what we're targeting in a Bo Horvat trade sat, which is well, absolutely because I don't think that you're right. Yeah. I don't think at all. I was like, you know, for Bo, we're going to go and you know, yeah. this is what we're targeting. Uh, I think there's a very important distinction there. Um, but it, it's not that these players don't exist that can, you know, find great success a little bit later on in their careers. They are few and far between, even if you start to, to look through different NHL teams and pick out guys that sort of were late bloomers. And of course, the, the best one to point out right now is Tage Thompson. Took him quite a while to get where he is right now, and now he's one of the most fun players in the league. But he's more of a outlier than he yes. is. Uh, he's, he's the situation that you point to when you want to say that, hey, this could work more <laughs> so than this is what we should be doing or what we should be banking on. But, yeah. you know, one the, – the thing about this is I think it's a way that you can find players for your roster, bottom six types, you know, guys that can maybe fit certain roles that you're looking for, but it's it's not a – if you're looking to find a player that's all of a sudden going to develop into an impact player when they haven't shown it by the time they're 22, 23 years old – I mean, that's that's a bit of fool's gold. It's not likely to happen. You're right. You're looking at more specific role-type players and guys that can be helpful, for sure. But this team is in dire need of some core players, and that's why maybe it's more intriguing. Now, you can always find players and turn them into something, and if you really believe in your developmental system and everything, then maybe that's part of how you get there, but that's also maybe overstating your acumen, no matter how good it is to turn anything into gold. You know, It's, it's not mm-hmm. that easy to just do that. But as far as Bo is concerned, it's the same thing we talked about this entire time. They want a difference-making blue-chip player one way or another. Yeah, Is that going to be a top-five pick? Probably not, because nobody's giving you that, or top-ten pick. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be a team's top prospect, like a really legit prospect? Maybe, if a team's willing to do so. Vancouver would be all for it. Could it be one of their good, burgeoning young players? Absolutely. I don't think it's going to be, let's take less and take flyers, yeah. you know? We've mentioned some names that have been out there. Alex Newhook in Colorado. Yeah. That would be more like a guy on his ELC or now getting out of it that hasn't yet been able to really show his potential. He has nine goals in 43 games, 17 points. Not bad, but really not showing you he's going to be a top six centerman, right? Ratu Ati. Yeah. Atu Ratu with the uh, New York Islanders. I'm not the big, I'm not huge on his potential overall, but. Some people are. People do like him, for instance. He's had some success this season. He's a young player playing on his ELC. How do you view him? Yeah. And I'm not saying these are the guys we're going to get, but if it's more in line with something along the lines of a best prospect, a really good young player coming back in return, then I don't think people are going to have a problem with that as far as the Bo Horvat return. The point, guys you mentioned, Garland, Besser, is that somebody you can target in that type of a trade? Uh, that That's uh, sort of how we would look at it. And as for this draft, I mean, we're going to be doing a lot of this, but uh, it is shaping up to be one where you can, you can find an impact player, certainly in the top five, but who knows uh, what else might be there for you later on in the draft as well. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. It is Canuck central.